Welcome to the Southridge Church Podcast. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we want you to stay connected with us. You can find us on sanjose.cc or subscribe to the podcast. Thank you, Pastor Kai. Well, good morning, everybody. And wow, we did it. We had a great time this morning at the at the first service. First thing I want to do is uh, introduce the woman who led me to Christ. She uh, stand up, honey, and smile at everybody. Stand up. You're smiling right now, aren't you? Well. Now, don't worry, she's not, she doesn't have COVID, and she's not COVID-phobia. She went and got a hamburger at our restaurant last night, and they had this great big toothpick, I mean, bigger than a toothpick. She didn't see it, and when she bit into it, bing! So she looks like uh, Jethro's Aunt Nellie from uh, the Arkansas Hills. But our dentist uh, is a member of Redemption, been my dentist for 30 years, and so I put in an emergency call to his we have a revival starting tonight, four nights in a little outside of Sacramento at our church at Lincoln. In fact, when this service is over, I'm, tr- I'm jumping in my truck. I want you to pray for my angel because my angel has this idea he can only fly at the speed limit. <laughs> and I'd really like him to be in front of me, not 10 miles behind me. So. So I need to pick up Pastor Steve Hage, Pastor J.D. from Portland that are coming to the revival. They land at 335. So uh, there won't be a whole lot of fellowship after church. Had great dinner with Micaiah, Pastor Micaiah and Jane. And, and, uh, you know, when preachers get together, we tell our stories and ask questions. And just had a wonderful time telling me about the nine-year journey and and the, the land and the new church. And can't wait to see that. And, uh, and uh, what you guys do? Do you know Jubilee? We had a church at this hotel for a while, years ago. Pastor Maxine and Carlos, we had a little, we had a, we had a church at El Toro School in Morgan Hill, but they, they kicked us out unceremoniously. And so we rented a building here for a while, and it was going pretty good for a while. Then they ended up moving to Sacramento. But Manny, thank you for uh, being a friend, one of my disciples in the area. And, and Carla, I don't know if you saw... And Janie, waving everybody to Janie, her mom was one of our great leaders, Margaret Deemer. And Margaret, and this is Janie, our, who grew up, at, grew up at Jubilee. And of course, the Hershey's, Richard's here, and his precious wife, and brought some. Pastor, I want you to come up here right now with your wife, and I'm going to have Micaiah and Jane. And this couple from Hollister, they own two restaurants, but they're starting a church, a bilingual church. His dad's going to be the Spanish pastor. And Pastor, uh, introduce yourself. Raul Escareño. Um, hi, everybody. Yeah. English. Uh, hello, everyone. <laughs> My name is Raul. <laughs> Raul Escarino. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, God, you know, God's doing a lot of great things in the city of Hollister. And um, I thank God every day. It's weird. I met Brother Hershey. And um, at first, you know, you see both of us and you see a wise man and you see a young whippersnapper and you're just like, how are these guys, you know, doing, you know, anything together? You know, the age difference, but God doesn't have an age difference. And God put him in my life for a reason. And I think that, you know, my wife, oh, I didn't, oh, this is Yvonne Sanchez, uh, my wife, she just follows me wherever I go. Uh, just kidding. 
But, you know, God's doing something uh, great in Hollister. I believe it. At first, you know, I was kind of doubtful of it. You know, when you first start ministry, you're just like, no, God, it's not me. It's the other guy. And it's, I'm, I was the kind of person who would throw people in no problem. Like, God's calling you. Go. Hey. God's calling you too. Go. You know, like the movie Spartan 300, you know, kicking them into the pit. I was I was that guy, you know, God has a calling for you. Go, you know, but then when it's you doing something, it's like, no, God, it's not me. It's someone else. But, you know, it's all we're all here through the grace of God. And I thank God for that. We know what it's like to plant a church. I, I planted Jubilee. We started with we started with uh, four people and we grew to eight people. We doubled our church. Our, our first official service, we had 14 people, but only eight came back the next week. We had some well-wishers. And 20 years later, we had over 21,000 members. And we had, our, we built a sanctuary that seated 3,400 people. We filled it up twice. And at, at, there was a season where we had three morning services, Friday night service, Sunday night. And then we went to Wednesday night, Bible school. Hundreds and hundreds graduated from our Bible school. So we know what it's like to plant a church and, and to let God just do his thing. So, Pastor, could we lay hands on and stretch your hand towards this couple? And you, you feel like saying a word over them? Yes. Father, I just pray that a double portion of your spirit from Pastor Bernal would pass on to this pastor as he goes to Hollister. May from the crown of his head to the sole of his feet be filled and anointed. May his mouth speak what you call him to. In an age where people want to compromise, where people don't want to contend for the truth, I pray that he would stand firm. I pray that he wouldn't back down from the calling. I pray that when the devil comes against him, he would stand firm. I pray in a culture that wants people to continue to just bend and acquiesce, I pray that he would be a firm man of God. I pray that he would love his wife and be faithful to his wife. I pray that he would not forget or neglect his first ministry is to his home. His second ministry is to your church. But Father, help him to never forget that it's your bride and you will take care of it as he takes care of his bride. So Father, I pray that you would fill him, Father. I pray that he would have a fire and an unction from on high. So Holy Spirit, right now, fill him. Use him in a powerful way, and may revival break out of Hollister, that little town of Hollister. May we be hearing not just about Ashbury, but about Hollister, God. And may it be do great things, Father, would you use this couple. In Jesus' powerful name, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. All right. Love it. God is doing some wonderful things. Well, I brought some... Uh, <laughs> I brought some product, I brought some books, we almost sold out the first service, and uh, what we're doing is, people that want uh, one, of the, one of the books that uh, is sold out, we can, I can mail it to you tomorrow or Tuesday, but we have a few of these left, God's Covenant Partners. You know, it's one thing, and a wonderful thing, to be called a child of God. It's also wonderful to be a servant of God, but to be a partner. People kind of look at you strange when you say, but the Bible says we are co-laborers with Christ. We're in the family's business. Jesus said, I must be about my father's. It's the only place in the Bible you see the word business. I must be about my father's business. And so we are covenant partners in our father's company called the kingdom of God. And I taught for 25 years in our college. 
And finally, my team said, Pastor, you gotta, you gotta put together, you gotta put this down on, on paper and, and get it published. So I asked a couple of famous friends of mine to read the manuscript and write something, if they would. One being the great Jim Brown, arguably the greatest running back in the history of the NFL, 45 movies, celebrated movie actor, activist, back in the day of the Jim Crow civil rights movement, and a family friend, a dear family friend. And pray for Jim. His wife said uh, he just had his 87th birthday, and he's, he's battling some cognitive and some physical things. Uh, just, just a good buddy of mine. Played a, We played more golf than I can count. And, and also, Smokey Robinson, who's a very dear friend. I pastored Smokey for years. Carl and I, we did a Bible study at Smokey's house in, uh, in Hollywood for years, and we got to pray for the sick, cast out devil. A lot of devils in Hollywood. We got to cast out a few devils and counsel people about different things they're going through, and then preach. I used to, I'd preach a little 20-minute sermon and have a great fellowship with kind of the who's who of that community. And then Judge Reinhold, who played, uh, if you ever saw Beverly Hills Cop 1, 2, and 3, Judge played Billy. And they're making Beverly Hills Cop 4, and Judge is in it. And Judge, I had Judge read the manuscript, and then Kim Clement, the prophet, and others. So this is a, this is a, a, a book that has a whole lot of good stuff in it, and I think it would be a blessing. And there's a, there's a book on uh, toxic relationships back there. I don't, I don't think I'm sold out, called What Do You Do When Lucifer, Jezebel, or Jonah Join Your Team? or your church, or your family, or your company. And uh, people that seem charming, bearing gifts, always smiling, but they have an agenda, and uh, really sent by the devil, even though they don't know it and would argue with you and be insulted if you even suggested that what they're doing is demonic or unbiblical, um, kind of like a whole lot of people in politics right now. But <clears throat> they, uh, don't get me started, Jesus, but they... Uh, but they're out there, and I, I, uh, I dealt with a bunch of them at Jubilee on staff and in the church. And after a while, you begin to identify them quickly and make, and, uh, and make sure that they don't harm the sheep. So it's, a, it's, a very, it's my second best-selling book. I was telling the first service, a pastor in London ordered 700, like 14 boxes of it. And I thought, wow. So I, back in the day, I faxed him. This is before all this. And I faxed him, and Pastor, why, what are you going to do with 700 copies? He said, I'm giving one to every pastor in London, every pastor, because we're having church splits, we're having divorces, we're having all kinds of stuff that's really hurting the community, the Christian community. And I think your book will help uh, at least slow that down, if not stop it, in a whole lot of places. So uh, I was pretty honored that that would happen. Okay, are you ready? Stretch your hand towards me, everybody. And again, Pastor, thank you for trusting me with your pulpit. And uh, if I say something that is offensive today, uh, my uh, email is uh, Micaiah and Jane. <laughs> I want you to say this. Repeat this after me. Say, Lord, if there is anything in our guest today that has my name on it, if there's a rhema word, if there's a life-changing word that will help me with my destiny, I receive it now. I'm all ears. I'm all eyes. My heart is open. My brain is ready to be renewed to the perfect will of God. 
for my life. In Jesus' name, if you believe that, say amen. amen. All right, everybody. Now, what I'm going to do, a little book back there, I think there might be, I think we found one or two copies uh, called I Hear a Sound. Let's see if I can find my notes. Uh, I'm going to share some things out of that. Now, let me just talk about that just a, just a little bit. Like, I don't even know if I brought my notes, which is okay. I have it. I have, I've preached this so much, I don't even know if I need notes. Probably not. Just go with me to 1 Kings 17. And we're going to talk a little bit about this wonderful, wonderful prophet called Elijah. 1 Kings 17, here we go. Verse 1. Elijah the Tishbite. How many of you knew Elijah was a Tishbite? How many of you care? You know, scholars are not even sure what a Tishbite is to this day. They're not even sure, but that's what he was. Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead. Well, at least we know the basic region he's from. Said to old wicked King Ahab. Now, you all remember Jezebel and Ahab the weakest, most evil king Israel ever had. And this is the prophet saying to him, as the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, in being three and a half years, as we know, these years, except at my word. My first point, pastor, is this. God didn't tell the man of God to say that. This isn't thus saith the Lord. This is thus saith Elijah. So what's he doing pronouncing a drought which leads to famine, pestilence, sickness, death? Because back in those days, especially back in those days, everything was agriculture. The culture was agri. You had to have the latter and the former rain for crops to grow so you could feed your animals, you could reap your harvest, you could drink water. And so everything, everything, life revolved around the rains. I think Elijah, knowing the Bible, in chapter 28 of Deuteronomy, some of you know this, there's the blessings, maybe the first 15 verses, and then there's like 40 or 50 verses on the curses of idolatry or falling away from God. And what, what has happened Israel is as backslidden as she has ever been. They have gone a whoring after idols because of Jezebel. In particular, Jezebel, the Sidonian priest from what we call Lebanon today. I don't know why this man married her. Who knows? Uh, they say she was so ugly she had to have $300 worth of makeup. But anyway, <clears throat> he married her and brought her down to Israel, and she introduced Baal worship and Asherah worship and did away with the worship of Yahweh, the worship of God Almighty. Wicked, wicked, wicked woman and a very weak, pathetic man named Ahab. So I think, if I may, in Deuteronomy 28, I think around verse 23, God said, if you turn to idolatry, I will make, the sky as brass and the earth as iron. Brazen skies, iron terra firma. 
That's the Bible way of saying, I will shut the heavens, there will be no rain. Brass is a type of sin. Looks like gold, but all that glitters is not. That's why the altar was made of brass. The brazen serpent was made of brass. I will make the skies brass, which means the earth will be as hard because of drought as iron. And so Elijah, knowing that, was basically standing on that proclamation from God. And all he saw everywhere he went was idolatry. So he just said, it's not going to rain. And God's going to back him up. All right, go with me now, family, to go over to, let me see. Let me, no, let me read a little bit more here. Verse 2. <laughs> this, this is kind of hilarious. After he does this. Verse 2, then the word of the Lord came to him saying, run. Then he was didn't even sound like God, but he did. Run, boy. Get away from here. Turn eastward. Hide. Run and hide. Can you imagine God telling his man to run and hide? He did. Run and hide by the brook Kareth. C-H in the Hebrew usually has a K sound to it, like Chaldean, what have you, which flows into the Jordan River. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Now, that's hilarious. You know anything about ravens? We have crows around here. Am I right about that? You know crows are brilliant. They are some of the smartest creatures God ever made. Well, ravens are like crows on steroids. They're like yay tall. When we were in England the first time and we, we were touring the uh, Tower, of, Tower of London, we walked around the corner. I said, what the heck? I said, what are those? Crows? No, no, those are ravens. I mean, they are huge. And God has made the ravens bring, what, breakfast and dinner every day to the prophet. Now, if you study ravens a little bit, and I have, they are the most selfish of the feather family. In fact, if they get really hungry, they'll eat their own babies. They have no, they have no like parental love. And they're and they're they're brilliant animals. They can actually mock other animals, other prey to come to them thinking, you know, it's a new girlfriend or new boyfriend, and then attack them. Like parrots, they can make they can make different noises. Even crows can do that too. And can you imagine you're a you're a you're a raven and you're flying? You got a T-bone and a salad in your mouth or whatever. And you're hungry and you're looking at he you're Hector and Heathcliff and you're flying and you're saying, why are we doing this? I have no idea. Are you hungry? I'm starving. Why are we feeding this human? Because something in me says we have to. Now listen, if God can make animals two by two get into an ark, he can bring ravens to bring you blessing and listen, those of you that have been praying and praying and praying, answer me this. What was the last two animals to get in the ark? Probably snails. <laughs> but you know the door wasn't closed till they got in. So keep the door open. Your prayer is coming. Slowly. But your prayer is coming. So the ravens feed him. Then it gets even more hilarious. It's like God, God does strange things to let us know he can do whatever he wants with whoever he wants, whenever and whatever he wants, wherever he wants. So the ravens brought bread and meat in the morning, bread and meat 
in the evening, and it happened while the brook dried up. Why? Because he prophesied a drought. You got to be careful what you prophesy. Because there had been no rain in the land. Hello. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, okay, rise and go to Zarephath, which is Lebanon today, which belongs to Sidon. Okay, here we go. Jezebel is Sidonian. She's down in Israel. God is sending the prophet to her hometown. Interesting. And dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow to provide for you. So now we're going from ravens to widows. Not just a widow, but a broke widow. I mean, how broke is she? Well, if you keep reading, when the prophet says, uh, you got anything to eat? She goes, listen. And she's, she's not a Jew. She, she's Sidonian. She's a pagan worshiper. And she said, uh, listen, all I got is a little teeny bit of flour, a little teeny bit of oil. I'm, I'm going to make one little biscuit, going to split it with my son, and then we're both going to die. And he said, uh, well, give it to me first. Doesn't that sound just like a preacher? It's like a guy, Stan, my man Stan, back at Jubilee. I don't know if you ever heard me tell the story, but this guy came up to me years ago. He goes, Pastor, praise God. Praise God, Pastor. Praise God. He says, I'm broke. I said, hang on. Before I start doing the hallelujah with you, praise God, you're broke. He goes, no, you don't understand. Pastor, I was horribly in debt. I'm just broke. Now I can start. My debt's paid off. I don't have anything, but my debt's paid off. Now I can start building. I said, well, hallelujah. Praise the Lord for your brokenness. Whatever. <laughs> brokenness, not brokenness. So here's this widow who takes care of the man of God. It's a, it's a, it's a tremendous story. I don't have time to read all of the rest of 17 and 18, but you know what happens. One of the most famous stories where there's the, the shootout at the Mount Carmel Corral, where, where Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal, the prophets, prophets of Asherah. And, and of course, they, they tried to get their idols to move. They didn't. God, God sends the fire. And there's, a, there's a, a nationwide repentance and revival. One of the great revivals of the Bible is right there. The whole nation, God, God, God is God, not these idols. And then he kills all the prophets. You know the story. He kills all the prophets. So a revival breaks out. So because of that, look at verse 41 of chapter 18. Then Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. Now, what I'm going to preach over the next 25 minutes or 20 minutes, I have preached at the largest church in the world, in Korea. I've preached this message at the largest church in Europe. 60,000 members, the largest church in South America, one of the largest churches in Mexico City, and some of the biggest churches in America. But a couple of months ago, I preached this message to a church of 14 people in Vacaville. So it doesn't matter how many people are listening to this. This is my signature message and has been for many, many years of I Hear a Sound. Now, since we've had a five and a half year drought or so, I've been preaching this message that rain is coming to California. And we just had a record nine atmospheric rivers in December. And uh, we're filling up our reservoirs, Shasta, Oroville, 
All the big, all the big reservoirs are filling up. Praise the Lord! Fifty feet of snow in the Sierras. Fifty feet of snow in the Sierras. Every foot you get one inch of water. Every foot you get one inch of water. So we're on our way to breaking this drought. But the way I see this is I hear a sound of abundance of blessing coming to the people of God. I hear a sound of blessing coming to the house of God. Revelation chapter 3, I touched on that a little bit last service, where he told a little church in, in the town of Philadelphia, which is in Turkey today, he told this little church that I'm going to open new doors. So I hear, listen, I hear the sound of new doors opening of opportunity. I hear the sound of windows of heaven opening where he'll pour out a blessing that you cannot contain. I hear a sound of camels coming. You go, what? I hear, look, look at Isaiah 60. He prophesied in Isaiah 60. Camels are coming to the great revival and they'll be laden down with gold and silver and precious stones. I hear a sound of prosperity and abundance coming to the people of God that are hanging on. Even in this culture, this woke culture, this liberal progressive mess that we see as socialism, Marxism, whichever you want to call it, we see America going down fast. But I still hear a sound of God's people prospering and being blessed and miracles happening. I hear a sound. Acts chapter, oh, watch now, watch, watch, watch. Let me read a little bit more. So after he hears a sound, Verse 42, he bows down, he starts to pray. Verse 43, he tells Gehazi, his servant, go up now, look towards the sea. That's the Mediterranean looking west from Mount Carmel. So the, the servant went and looked and said, uh, there's nothing. Watch now. He hears a sound and nobody's sure what he's hearing. The wind shifting, not thunder because there's not a cloud in the sky. It's not thunder. But he hears something. He hears something that's telling him rain's coming big time. He says, go look out over the sea. And the servant comes back and says, boss, nothing. Go again. He comes back. Hefe, nothing. He goes again. He comes back. Patron, nothing. Fourth time, nothing. Nada. Zero. Sixth time. Boss, there ain't nothing out there. Go again. Seventh time. He comes back. Oh, man of God. Don't get too excited. Don't get too excited. But way out there, I see a little bitty cloud rising out of the sea about the size of my fist. And he says, go tell Ahab, you better get on your chariot and you better hustle. Verse 44, then it came to pass the seventh time that he said, there is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. He said, go and tell Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Now it happened. Look at this, verse 45. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind, and there was heavy rain. So Ahab rode away to Jezreel. This, this storm was so big and lasted so long, it broke the three-and-a-half-year drought, which stopped the famine and the pestilence and the disease and brought tremendous blessing back to the people of God. I hear a sound. I hear a sound of blessing coming to this valley, to this region, to this church, and to any church where Jesus truly is Lord and being celebrated. But now watch something, because there's a principle here that I caught years ago. First he heard a sound, then there was a sight, then there was a, a, a receiving. 
First, he heard a sound. But after prayer and patience, <laughs> come on, somebody. Faith and patience inherit the promises of God. First, he heard, but then there was a, a time where he, where, there, where he saw. He heard, but he saw nothing. Well, then finally, he saw a little something. Saw just, it's amazing what God can do with a little something, like a widow's two mites. It's amazing. But then after he saw something, there was the receiving where the, the wind and the rain was pelting old King Ahab to where he had to really hustle so his chariot wouldn't get stuck. Now, keep that in mind and go with me real quick to Acts chapter 2, which is the birth of the church, the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the, the resurrection, as you know, Acts chapter 2. Now look at this. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all one accord in one place, 120, as you know, Mary included, a lot of women and disciples. Now, what kind of bothers me a little bit, if I may, how many people did Jesus appear to during the 40 days after the resurrection? What does the Bible say? 500. Where's the other 380 people? I mean, these were followers. These were actually followers of Jesus that he appeared to, 500 but only 120 went to the upper room. I'll tell you why. They were too busy. It was like the Christmas season. Pentecost was like Christmas. It lasted like a week or so. And people were, people were just too busy to go to the upper room. I call it the 25% rule. It's amazing when COVID hits, how many people come back to church. It's, ama it's amazing when there's a little problem in the church, how many people stick it out. I call it the 25% rule. Appeared to 500 people, and yet only 120 showed up. Whatever. Watch now. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a what? There came a what? Now, family, listen. This is the birth of the church. It started with a sound from heaven. Well, what did it sound like? A rushing, mighty wind that filled the whole house where they were sitting. Isn't this interesting? The Spirit filled the house before He filled anybody. Why do you think we worship for 15, 20, 30 minutes? Every church does it. Evangelical, even a lot of Catholics. Why do you think the worship team is up here plowing and praising? Because we want the room filled with His presence before the pastor starts throwing the seed out. We plow. We praise, we push during worship. It softens the heart. It opens the mind to where when the word of the Lord, because we all bring issues. Do you know why Kleenex has tissues? Because we all have issues. And a lot of times we bring those issues to church with us. And so it takes a little while to get in the spirit. That's why worship is so vital and so important. It's not just filling in time for everybody to get here and then get ready for church. No, church starts the moment, bing, the first note hits. In fact, church starts when you're, somebody shakes your hand in the parking lot. That's when it really starts. But watch now. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a mighty rushing wind. Wind. Let me tell you exactly what that mighty rushing wind was. It was God's breath. Numa. Numa. The Greek word pneuma, wind, we get the word pneumonia, pneumatic. 
It's God, God breathed so loud on those 120 people that sounded like a tornado. It sounded like a hurricane. But watch now. Watch, compare scripture to scripture. This is the birth of the church. Let's talk about the birth of Adam. How did Adam receive life? He was a clump of clay until God breathed on him. You know, the Bible says God breathed in his nostrils. I never, that always bothered me. So I began to research it. The word face and the word nostril is the same Hebrew word. So God breathed on his face. He was an inanimate piece of clay until the breath of God filled his lungs. He became what? A living soul. So life on planet Earth, speaking of human life on planet Earth, started with the breath of God. The life of the church started with the breath of God. Watch. So it started with a sound. Then there appeared to them divided, which means two, two tongues as of fire, which sat upon them. Watch now. The church was birthed first with a sound, same principle as we read back in the Old Testament, first a sound, then a sight. And what's the third thing? And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is a good way to remember. Sound, sight, speech. One, two, three. Birth of the church. Started with a sound, and then a brand new, a new sound, a brand new sight, and brand new speech. Because the church is all about new. It's all about bringing something new. Jesus brought something new to the earth. Some good news. And we, we, 2,000 years later, we need it like never before. Now watch. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. They said it might have been 300,000 people. This, I mean, this was like if there was only one city in America where you celebrate Christmas, how many people would be there? Well, this is Jerusalem, and everybody came to the Pentecost. That was, Pentecost was like their Christmas season. And when this, here we go again, when this sound occurred, multitudes came running together towards the upper room, probably the same place they had the Last Supper, and were con confused because everyone heard them speak in their own language. Now, what, what, this, is like, this is like revival here. I'll tell you why. People are busy shopping for Pentecost, getting everything you need for Pentecost. Well, all of a sudden, there's this, New sound coming from up the street, around the corner. And people say, you know, well, I'll, come, I'll pay for that later. i got to see what's going on. And thousands, how, how do you know? Because 3,000 got saved after Peter preached. It might have been 10,000 there, but 3,000 got saved. And thousands flocked because they heard this new sound coming from the upper room, or kind of the first big church gathering in history. There's a sound coming from this hotel. There's a sound coming from this room. I had, a, I had a, a girl that became one of our leading worship leaders driving down Highway 237, and she's Mormon. And all of a sudden, something just, and she made a right. And she saw all these cars. On, she saw all these cars Sunday morning. And what the heck's going on Sunday morning in this, in this, in this R&D bunch of empty buildings in Alviso, and she gets out, and she walks in, and she sees thousands of people, 
worship him. She listens to me, comes forward, gets saved, ends up being one of our worship leaders. She heard a sound. She heard a sound. Of all places, Albiso. The armpit of San Jose back in the day. All right. Let me ask you a question. Of your five physical senses, and thank you, Lord, for giving us sight, hearing, taste, touch, smell, but we could traffic in this world and enjoy it, work with our hands, what have you. What's the most spiritual, if I may, kind of a strange question, of the five physical senses, which would you say is the most spiritual? I'll tell you right now, it's not your sight. We walk by faith, not by, it's Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the what? Let's talk about it. unwrap that a little bit. There's two words for word. There's the logos, which basically is this, the written word, the whole counsel of God. Let me stop right there. Who's the logo? If I showed you a silver apple with a little bite out of it, you'd say, we know that. We know that's apple. Most big companies, sports teams, they have logos. Am I right about that? Heaven has a logo. Jesus. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen my father. If you've seen me, in the beginning was the logo. And the logo, all chapter John, Gospel of John, it's always logo. Read chapter, every time you see the word in, in John chapter 1, Jesus is the logo of heaven. But Romans 10, Romans 10, 17 says, faith, proactive, mountain-moving faith comes by rhema. It's the word rhema, not logo. Rhema is the inspired word. Thank you, Micaiah, for inspiring. Rhema is really the preached word that has your name on it. Well, you're sitting in a service, and you're there, but all of a sudden, the, the pastor says something that, whoa, that has my name on it. Wait, whoa, I got to write that down. What's That's your rhema. That's God speaking to you directly. So faith, even mountain-moving faith, comes by hearing and by hearing a rhema word of God. All right, almost done before I tell you a story. Go to Genesis chapter 1, the beginning. Genesis 1, in the beginning God created, the word there is bara, B-A-R-A in the, in the Hebrew, and it literally means, it's crazy, it literally means to make something out of absolutely nothing. Only God can do that. You see, Adam's body was not created. <clears throat> Adam's body was made out of something already made, earth. But when it says God created man and woman, and he created them at the same time, by the way, ladies, he created man and woman in his heart at the exact same time. You were not an afterthought. Now, your body, of course, is something different. But God created man and woman. He created them in his own image. But watch this now. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. Something kind of wrecked or messed up. Not sure if that's when Lucifer was cast out of heaven, but something kind of wrecked. <laughs> something messed up this little... Remember, earth, <clears throat> earth was created to be a little heaven. Man is a reflection of heaven's perfection, God. Earth was a reflection of heaven's perfection, little heaven. Man was supposed to be the ruler of earth like God is the ruler of everything. But watch now. 
The earth was without form and void and darkness, darkness, spiritual darkness was on the face of the deep. You know, the deep has a face and that's interesting. And the spirit of God was hovering because the spirit of God, I like this, the spirit of God is attracted to chaos. The earth, this planet is in chaos, probably because Lucifer was cast out of heaven and a third of the angels became demons and they began to trash the place. And the Holy Spirit is ready to move because the Holy Spirit just seems to get a kick out of correcting chaos. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. All right, watch now. The word universe is compound. Uni means like a unicycle. Uni means one, and verse means verse. Are you ready? God created the whole universe, which is still growing, by the way. God created the whole universe with one verse. In the beginning, God created the universe. If God can create the whole universe with one verse, why can't he heal your body with one verse? Why can't he bring blessing to you with one verse? You don't need to memorize the whole Bible. Go ahead if you want to. I, I haven't. But there's times all I need is one verse for God to change my life. One verse. Memorize it, quote it, confess it, stand on it. By his stripes, I'm healed in Jesus' name. I don't need to memorize every scripture on healing, but you know what? That's my rhema. By his stripes, I am healed. My God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Amen? Yeah, one verse. One verse. And by the way, The universe started with a sound, not a thought. It doesn't say God thought. It says God said. God looked into the vast expanse of nothingness. Now there's heaven. There's angels. Cherubim, seraphim, God's, God's community. And he's looking out at endless nothingness and says, you know what? I'm going to decorate this like we would decorate a Christmas tree. He didn't think it. Nothing needed to hear a sound. It was God's voice. And God said, boom. And there was light. Not the sun. That was The sun was created on the fourth day. When it says there's light, it's the word illumination, revelation. It's really Jesus. Like, let there be Jesus everywhere. Who is light? All right. Where were you? I'm almost done. Can you remember where you were October the 14th? 1947? I was all, I was two weeks away from being three years old, born in Watsonville, raised in San Jose. Of course, I first service, I said, Bernal Road's my family. The first Bernal came with De Anza, 1776, that we came back in early 1800s, and that's why we have Bernal Road, and thank you, Mike. My family, we have Bernal Road, my family, Pleasanton. We have Bernal Heights, Bernal Heights in San Francisco, my family. So I come from the old Bernal, from Spain to Sinaloa to California. So I'm the sixth generation of the pioneers, pioneering family. So it's an honor to be preaching across the street from family property. I wish they wouldn't have got rid of it. I'd be a billionaire. <laughs> my daddy used to say, Dickie, if we, still had all, if we still had all those land grants, 
would be multimillionaires, but would be speaking Spanish. I said, si, padre, si. Mucho dinero, muy bueno. Está bien. All right. Something happened in California that changed the world on October the 14th, 1947. The sound barrier was broken. Let me talk to, real quick about this. Sound travels, Mach 1, sound travels around, and I'll explain, 700 miles an hour. Like if I say, hello, Portland, about an hour from now, what was that? <laughs> now, this is fascinating, but sound travels faster the closer you get to substance or the earth especially water or st steel. But when you're up 40,000 feet, it only travels about 670 miles an hour, but it's still Mach 1. Right after World War, let me come down here, right after World War II, you see, even during the war, before the war, there was this new technology called rocket propulsion, jet propulsion. But during World War II, of course, the war was fought with what we call conventional. Let me show a picture. Let me see if we get this right. No, go back. Hit, <laughs> Right there. That's a British Spitfire, great plane. We had what's called the Mustang. The Japanese had the Zero, good planes. Germans had a great plane. Ours was a wee bit faster. And this was World War, this was how we fought World War II. But during World War II, even before, the Germans, the British, and the, the Yanks, the Americans, we were working on this new thing called jet propulsion. Still in, it's still in its early stages. Well, right after World War II, the Brits were a little ahead of us. They began attaching these new jet propulsion motors to old design. And they would blow up, almost killed them. I think one test pilot might have died. And so they stopped. Because they realized, if I may, you can't put new wine in old wineskins. Too much power. But the motors were too powerful for the design. Winston Churchill got voted out of office. The new prime minister said, cut it. Now watch. The test pilots called the sound barrier the demon wall. And said, God does not, God, the laws of physics or whatever, God does not, a, a bullet can try that fast, fly that fast, but man is, man is not supposed to fly faster than sound. He might just explode. And people believed that, except the Americans. So they, they stopped. The British stopped. We kept going, Bell Laboratories. So let me say, see the next picture. There you go. We designed, they designed a jet plane after a 50 caliber bullet. They took a 50 caliber bullet, that's what you hunt elephants with, a 50 caliber bullet and they designed the Bell X-1 right there. This is 1947 and stuck four jet engines. Next picture. Next picture. And they attached it to a B-29, see it there? With Colonel Chuck Yeager, World War II hero. Chuck Yeager's in that. He just passed away just recently up by where we live. And they attached it, that plane right there went 25,000 feet, that's the bomb release. They released the Bell one, he went up to 40,000 feet. And here he goes, I read his book. He's chasing his own sound. Some of you are gonna get this. He's, ch he's chasing his own sound. Now he's, 400 miles an hour, Five, Mach 1 is 
uh, at that height, Mach 1 is about 670 miles an hour. 500, he's, the joystick's starting to shake in his book. The plane's starting to shake. Why? Because he's catching up to his own sound, the demon wall, and there's pushback. 600 miles an hour. He thought the thing was going to explode. Of course, he had a parachute. Show the next picture. The modern picture. That's a modern jet breaking the sound barrier. And it looks just like that. When Colonel Yeager broke the sound barrier, something was heard on planet Earth that had never been heard before. Boom! And that's people. And that, on the ground, like, there's not a cloud in the sky. It wasn't thunder. Nobody knew there would be a sonic boom. And this is what Chuck Ayer said. About the time he thought that plane was coming apart, once he broke the sound barrier, it was like skating on ice. He said it was the smoothest ride because he broke through the demon wall that was pushing back against his own sound. That's why when you confess the word and you start running by faith, the demons start pushing back with persecution and all to stop you, to stop you from believing, to stop you from pressing, to stop you from moving forward. Paul talks about it. Paul talks about it. Once the sound barrier was broken, October the 14th, 1947, the general on the, on the ground called President Harry S. Truman. Mr. President, we have broken through. We can now go to the moon and the stars. 22 short years later, summer of 1969, Neil Armstrong walked on the moon. His son was my neighbor right up the street here. Neil Armstrong Jr. lived at Silver Creek. I'm, uh, I knew him. I always wanted to meet his dad. I never quite, never, his dad was there a few times. I never got, got to meet Neil, but gosh, I wish I, I would have loved to have talked to him. 22 short years later, after breaking through, and now look at us. We're taking pictures of the edge of the universe. Not with the old Hubble, but with this new one. I hear a sound. I hear a sound of breakthrough. Coming to the people of God. Let me tell you a quick story, real quick story about Jubilee Christian Center. And we'll pray. When we were, our church was growing, a handful of people. After two years, 600 people. After three years, 1,500 people. After five years, 2,500 people come to the church. Two services, Sandy Ramone. We grew to 5,000 people, but I'm stuck. I'm leasing a building for $54,000 a month, triple net. But there's 10 acres across the street, $4 million. We have no money in the bank. Interest, when I started, listen, when I started Jubilee Christian Center, interest was 21%. Look, look it up. 1980, interest was 21%. Buy 20%, buy a car, 21%. So the guy gave me, the guy said, I'll charge you 15% interest to hold the land. But if somebody offers me the $4 million, so I don't know how we did it, but every month we're making interest-only payment. No, no principal, interest-only, waiting for God to do a miracle. Jimmy Swagger. Now, listen, church, back in my day, the three most famous preachers in the world, Billy Graham, Oral Roberts, Jimmy Swaggart. 
Now today we might say Greg Laurie, Joel Osteen, you know, there's, you know, Joseph Prince. There's, you know, we, we have the people that are the, the big guys on TV. Back in, back in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, it was Oral, my, who was a dear friend of mine, Jimmy, Billy Graham. So when Jimmy fell, some of you might be old enough to remember when Jimmy had his moral failure. Now, I didn't know Jimmy Swaggart. I was from the Word of Faith camp, Assembly of God. We weren't like Jihan together, but I felt so much compassion for this man crying on TV, his world crumbling. <clears throat> I got his phone number from a friend, called him, picked up the phone. I said, Jimmy? Yes. I said, my name's Dick Brunell. He goes, hey, Dick, how's Carla? We watch you on TV, and we really like watching you. I thought, wow, he knows who I am. Thank you, Jesus. What can I do for you? I said, well, Brother Swaggart, I think you need a friend. He paused. He goes, you, you could say that. Why don't you fly out to San Francisco? I know you uh, Cajuns, you Louisiana guys like crab. I got a place up in San Francisco. <clears throat> really good crab. Why don't you come out? When? Tell me. Three weeks later, here he comes. Whole family. The whole family. And big old Clyde, his number one giver. And I take him to the Carnelian Room on top of the Make America building. Where everybody everybody know, in the elevator car, people look at us. Jimmy Swaggart. We go in the hotel, people stop, like, that's Jimmy Swag. We sit down. We're eating crab. We're having a good time. The Holy Ghost gets on me. This is, this is a Friday night. The Holy Ghost gets on me and says, ask him to preach. I, no, no. Nope. I ask him to preach. So I said, Jimmy, uh, the Holy Ghost is all over me. You have a word for our church. I want you to preach Sunday morning. And he, he, he wiped his face. He had crab juice all over him. He said, Dick. You're in enough trouble having dinner with me. I said, maybe, but I do know the Holy Ghost. And Francis goes, honey, if the Holy Ghost wants you to preach a Jubilee, preach. So he did. Well, word got out. Stan remembers, we seated 1,780. I'm at 24. We, we crammed in a lot of people in that second service. And he preached a marvelous message. Marvelous. Just Everybody's crying. Well, he told me after, he goes, by the way, I invited a friend of mine from Saratoga. I said, that's across the valley. He gives me, a, he said, no, listen, he, he cusses like a sailor, drinks like a fish, gives me a million dollars every year, cries when I preach. I go, and there's a problem? <laughs> I said, Jimmy, I wasn't raised in church. I said, there's some hell's angels sitting out there and some bike and some construction. I said, don't worry about cowboys, don't worry about me. Been around, Jimmy, been around. So I met him, but he was, he came in the back room, it was like this though. He's hugging Jimmy, he's hugging Jimmy. He got saved watching Jimmy, and he flies out to there. All the, he charters a jet and flies out there with his family. Jimmy, Jimmy goes, I want you to meet Pastor Dick. It's like, hi. He, he, he wasn't there to meet Pastor Dick. He was, yeah, I thought, big deal. About four weeks later, I see him sitting in the church, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Like, that's interesting. Finally, he's about this. He's like five foot five, broad shoulders, red face. He drinks a lot. And he has the booming baritone voice. Sucks all the air out of the room when he walks in. Started five companies worth about $50 million. He goes, hey, Dick. Not pastor, not apostle, not bishop. Hey, Dick, remember me? I go, Mr. Story, by the way. Story Road's named after his family. Bernal Road named after my family. It's like we were put together way in back in the day. Said, uh, yeah, you're Jimmy's friend. Carl, what are you doing tomorrow? Monday, we usually, you know, catch a movie, have dinner or something, have a date day. I said, I don't, why? He goes, uh, you know where the Hacienda is on, on, uh, over in a... I said, yeah, 9th. On 9th or 9th, whatever that is over there, Saratoga, Los Gatos Road. Highway 9th. 
I said, yeah, that's a pretty famous place. He goes, uh, I'll be in the bar tomorrow. You got a problem with that? <clears throat> I want to talk to you. I go, come and have lunch with me. I'll be sitting in the bar. Well, I put my sunglasses on, my baseball cap. <laughs> put my collar up. True story. And the bar's dark, I thought, praise the Lord. Not that I'd never been to a bar before, but okay. <clears throat> anyway. So I'm walking in there. He stands up. Hey, everybody. I want you to meet Dick Brunella, pastor of Jubilee Christian Center. And they're all like, you know, like a Carol Asa. He said, well, maybe you notice I've been coming to your church. I said, uh, yeah, I've seen you sitting back there. You're not hard to miss. He said, Francis told me, Carl, God told me, go help Dick Brunella. He needs you. He's doing something big. He said, so, uh, Reverend, pastor, whatever you want me to call you, here I am. What do you need? I said, Carl, don't ever ask a preacher what he needs. We'll be here all day. <laughs> I, said, I said, tell you what, Carl and I, we're taking 100, 120 people to Israel in a few weeks. Why don't you go with us? Hmm. We flying first class? I said, are you buying? He goes, yeah, I'm buying. I said, we be flying. <laughs> Not her, me. There I am, up at first class. Now, Jimmy said he drank like a fish. This guy started drinking Bloody Marys. Y'all know what a Bloody Mary is? Forget it. <laughs> vodka, vodka and tomato juice. So, and he's, he starts in these Bloody Marys all the way to New York. He must have five of them. From New York to Tel Aviv. We're halfway across the Atlantic Ocean. He's, I'm thinking, where is this guy putting this stuff? And so he says, uh, hey, Dick, before I go to sleep, God just told me to give you a million dollars. I said, wow. Wow. I think God's telling me to receive it. <laughs> he, always say, he always did this. Shut up. Shut up. Quit being cute. Shut up. He lays the seat down. I'm, sp I'm spending that money as fast as I can. Okay. I got that land. 15, I got that land. 15%. If I, I put a million on it, still owe three million, but at least it's a start. He raises the seat back up. I'm looking out the window. Click, 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 thinking about this. He goes, hey, hey. He slaps me. And he said, and he, he he said, remember what I just said? Forget that. I went, like, like I swallowed a bowling ball. Like my clank. I already had that money spent. True story. He, he puts his hand up. He's on the aisle. He puts his hand up, so I give him a high five. He goes, what the hell are you doing? What the hell are you just? Jimmy said he cusses and drinks. And I said, well, hell's not a cuss word. That's a place. And, and, and I said, well, what are you doing? Now I'm like irritated. What are you doing? Oh, I can't sleep. God told me to give you $5 million. And he did. Now watch. He gave it to me and Carla, insisted. He had strange eschatology about going through the tribulation. He wanted us to move to Montana, buy five years worth of food, guns, and water, and, and wait for the tribulation. He, he, no. And I said, sir, I said, thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving. And at the time, we were $100,000 in debt. We bought a house for $595. Couldn't sell it for $495. Recession. Horrible recession. Like 91 around there, right? And I could have used $5 million. Somebody asked me, were you tempted to keep that? I go, of course I was. <laughs> what the heck? I, used, I laid away, away $95 million. I said, Carl... God told me to build him a house. 
He says, I don't, I don't give a good any cuss. What you doing? He said, you can flush that money down the toilet. All I know is God told me to give you $5 million, and here it is. I wrote a check, paid the land off, put a million in my bank. The vice president of our bank called me into his office, said, uh, Reverend, uh, we, we, we just voted today. We're giving you $20, $21 million line of credit just on your name. Go ahead and build your church. And we built that. We built that. We built that and paid it off in four and a half years. And so... Why am, I, why am I saying all that? Why am, I, why am I saying all that? Because, and watch now. When we moved into that building, we went from a, we went from a 5,000 member church to 10,000 to 15,000. We had an explosive revival up to up till the recession hit, and then we were just kind of hanging on the last 10 years because of people moving, people, whatever, you know, whatever. Well, we still had a great church when we left. I'm playing golf with... Oral Roberts, Larry Lee, and a millionaire, Michael Cordone, who owns CarQuest. You guys might know CarQuest. That's his company. We're down at Laguna de Gale playing golf. Oral's, Oral's a father to me. Larry, a dear, dear friend to this day. And so we're getting ready to play golf. Larry goes, hey, Dick, did you tell Oral about Carl giving you $5 million? And Oral's like, what? Well, tell me. I said, well, at lunchtime. He goes, no, 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 tell me right now. It's like we're supposed to be playing golf. So I gave him the, I gave him, I, I gave him the five-minute version. He puts a golf club down, gets down, lay your hands on me. Oral Roberts, lay your hands on me. He looks up, he goes, Dick, I need $8 million yesterday for ORU. We're in debt, and I need $8 million like yesterday. Lay your hands on me. Pray for me. And I'm looking at Larry. Larry's like, I'm, I think I, I don't know what I prayed in tongues or whatever. I was, I was nervous, prayed for him. He gets up, and this is what he said. He's getting ready to tee up. He goes, and I'm talking to Larry like, what just happened? He goes, Dick, Dick. I said, yes, sir. He goes, God just told me you have an anointing to release big gifts to the to ministries, pastors, and churches. This is 1991 or two. This was 30 years ago. He said, everywhere you go, if they'll let you, everywhere you go, you pray for the pastor and for the church for abundance so they could go to the next level with new buildings, get on TV, whatever, whatever, whatever. And then he had me lay hands on, at his office, he had me lay hands on Kenneth Copeland. You know, all the big guys, all the big guys, 70 of them. Tell Dick what you want, tell Dick what you want, tell Dick. And he had him walk in front of me, 100 million, 200 million. Oh my God, you know, two new jets, whatever. You know these guys are, you know, Jesse, four new jets or whatever, you know. And, and I got feedback from Tommy and different ones. Dick, you prayed for me, and $12 million came in like that for the Dream Center, Tommy Barnett. And I've prayed, I've been on Benny Hinn's show 13 times with this message. When I told Benny about it, he said, get on my show next, next, next Monday night. Right, honey? Remember that? And so, so he gave me 20 minutes, so I preached this in 20 minutes, and I prayed for his audience. And he, sh he showed it 13 times. So I called Jeff, this TV guy. I said, Jeff, why does Benny keep showing that? He says, because people respond like never before. Because they're, they're hearing the sound you're hearing of abundance coming. Stand up, everybody. Pastor, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm not, going to, I'm not trying to embarrass you. But what does this church need? That, see, listen, when I pray for people, if you come up to me and say, pray for me, Pastor, I'll, ju I'll just stare at you. I say, I don't pray for people. I agree with people. 
Because when people say, pray for me, Pastor, it means you don't have the faith to pray for yourself. Listen to me. Pray for me, Pastor. Like, no, 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 no. Let me agree. Let me agree with you. What scripture are you standing on? A lady came up to me. A lady came up. Pastor, pray for me with all these kids. She was like, Pastor, pray for me. Man, I need a house bad. Pray for me. I said, no. It's amazing when you say no to church people. It's like, like I put 30 bucks. You better do something, you know. <laughs> and she looked at me like, no. I said, no. How big a house? Where? What color? I said, I'm not going to pray for you until you tell me what you want. Well, she wasn't real happy. But two weeks later, she comes back with one of those real estate things. She goes, see this, Pastor? There is no way in heaven I can afford this. But this is the house I want. I go, good, let's pray. A couple months later, of course, I forgot about it. A couple months later, she's walking by the platform over at Jubilee, and she's doing this. And I'm trying to remember, who is that lady? What, what's, what's all this about? So finally, I said, I said, she goes, the house. I got it. It's a miracle. You got time? I'll tell you this. I said, tell me the story. So whenever I travel to places, I always ask the pastor, specifically, what does this church need to be debt-free, provision for the vision, the pastor, if you don't mind, give me a ten and a half million dollars. Would you stretch your hand towards the pastor? Come on, baby. Well, at least I'm not praying for two hundred million. I get it, Brother Copeland. Father, I just lay my hands on Pastor Micaiah. Now, Oral Roberts is a prophet. He told he told me, I have a gift to release, breakthrough, abundance of blessing for ministry. For God's people, God's leaders, and God's people, in Jesus' name, we release it now, 10 and a half million, be debt-free, money for missions, money for a school, a place that's going to help change this valley, in Jesus' name. Now, family, I got I to gotta get on the road here real quick, but I'm going to ask you, what are you believing for? I want you to bow your head, take 15 seconds, and I want you to tell the Lord what you would like over the next 12 months to make your life so much better. I'm talking financially. What would make your life easier? What would get you out of debt? Give you money to help your kids. Thank you guys. Pastor, could you grab that real quick? Manny had to go, so thank you. 15 seconds, go ahead. And this is no time to be too humble. Humble Humility is great, but right now, I want you to be bold. The Bible says he'll give you more than you can ask. What is that, Ephesians 3.20? He'll give you more than you could ask or think or even dream of. God wants to do more than our wildest imagination will even allow us to come up with. He is El Shaddai. He is El Shaddai. He is the God who is more, more. Do you know how many gallons of wine Jesus made? You know, theologians say when they ran out of wine, his first miracle, he could have just made enough wine to finish the party. It was like 160 gallons. He, he made enough wine, lasted them the rest of their life. Just to, that's his first miracle. How about the catch of fish? He always goes over and above what we need. 
and, and quit, listen, we got to quit saying, my God will supply all my needs. That's wonderful, but that, what about next month? Lord, I need rent. What about next month? No, God wants to give you the desires of your heart, not just meet your basic needs. 10 more seconds, go ahead. Now stretch your hand towards heaven. Now on the count of three, I want you to shout unto God, a voice of triumph. I want you to tell heaven, give, give heaven a number. I want angels to look down from heaven and say, what's that? And God will say, that's my people prophesying about their future. I'm coming to agreement. On the count of three, I don't care if it's 50,000, 100,000, a million, I don't care what it is, whatever, whatever your faith will allow you to release. And then by faith, you're gonna catch up to your own sound and you're gonna have a breakthrough in Jesus' name. On the count of three, one, two, three, go ahead. That was pathetic. Good, I know. They can't, they can't, listen, they can't even hear you across the street. I want heaven to hear you. On the count of three, one, two, three, go ahead. Better, but not good enough. One, no, no, like, it's like the Niners just won the Super Bowl. Or it's like the, it's like the Raiders finally won a game. Whatever, I'm sorry. Love on the count of three, come on. Loud and proud. One, two, three. Better. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, pray for me, everybody. Listen, I got a, there's a few books back. If you want to grab a book, I'll be back there for a few minutes. And then I got a boogie on up the road. Pray for us tonight at 630. You can go to Dick Brown on Facebook and watch the revival this week. Pray for us. We're, we're believing we're going to light a match and start a fire, a spiritual fire in the Sacramento area. Thank you again for spending time with us today, and a special thanks to those who give generously to Southridge Church. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about Southridge, you can follow us on social media at Southridge Now. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with a friend, or even take a screenshot and share it on your social story. Make sure you tag Southridge Church and let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.